0: My friends, it is a delight to be with you in worship on this fine Mother's Day. I would like to start by saying happy Mother's Day to all grandmothers, happy Mother's Day to all mothers, happy Mother's Day to aunts and friends who have poured that maternal love which originates in God's own wisdom into the lives of the young. Thank you. For anyone who has loved a child and shaped and molded the imagination of a child is right next to God. And I can say thank you to the church. We can say thanks to our founding fathers and mothers. And I call this our mother church because it is the church that's currently nourishing us. We are celebrating 98 years of ministry here at the corner of Peachtree and Spring Street. If you were here enough, early enough in the service, that means <clears throat> I noticed that many of you came in late. <laughs> I'm watching you. Reverend Bond read from our early declaration and principles. It says that we are a cathedral for the city of Atlanta, that this place is a house of prayer for all people. The doors are open for prayer, where no unkind word would be said about anyone's race or religion here. We talk about how radical that would have been in, the, in 1925 here in Atlanta. And then something that I aspire to, it says no ill will, right? No uncharitable thought would anybody have against anyone else. Ooh, that should have actually caused us all to repent, right? What would it take to have no uncharitable thought about others in the body of Christ? Something worth aspiring to live to. But I love that that's the the kind of language that our, our founding fathers and mothers gave us to, to build on and to continue because so much of the world is divided. And if you've heard me long enough, you know that one of my favorite realities about this edifice is that it is on the side of the Battle of Peachtree Creek, where from here to up near the hospital over to Howell Mill, there is this bloody Civil War, Civil War battle where the blood of brother against brother was staining the earth itself. Countrymen against countrymen, shed blood, painted on the ground. It was terrible. It was vile, unimaginable horror. And in 1925, this place was selected, and in 1928, the sanctuary was dedicated with the idea that it would be a place for everyone, where everyone is welcome and no one is kept away, or a place of sanctuary and safety for All comers, no matter your creed, you are welcome here. We want this to be your home. These were the sayings and beliefs of our founding fathers, which if we have that notion, if we have the notion that we are unified by the blood of Christ in a place that was separated by the blood of ideology, then you can remember that this place is not just a building. It's not just beautiful but it's a redeemed space, bought back by Jesus at a price for the purpose of a new people. Amen? Amen. I'm about to become Christian all over again (laughs) hearing that stuff. As you know, my friends, we started a sermon series last week called The Gospel According to Bob Ross. You know the man on PBS in the 70s, 80s, 90s with the permanent. He painted and he And he had that really soothing voice, and he painted nature landscapes, and he had a way about him, and he invited people to paint with him. And I thought Bob Ross is a really great jumping-off point to talk about the Gospel. Last week we talked about how um, Bob Ross would say, every day is a good day when you paint, and we talked about how human creativity is one way we participate in the divine and seeing the world for what it could be. When Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. When we're truly creative, we're anticipating what could be like Jesus did. So we're participating in God's redemption. This week we're focused on another line from Bob Ross, and that is, uh, We don't make mistakes, just happy accidents. Hmm. Is that true? Well, Here's the thing, today I've asked Reverend D Stone, one of my favorite mothers of Peachtree Christian Church. She's long been a member. I was blessed to help ordain her many years ago and she is basically everybody's favorite Aunt Dee Dee. Isn't she your favorite Aunt Dee Dee? She's a glue for us. I thought, why don't you study these passages? I'll study them. We'll look at the questions independently and you just ask me questions. Now, We did not prepare this together. I didn't know before 9 o'clock what she was going to ask me. I mean, I I could totally make a mistake with that, couldn't I? But we don't make mistakes, huh? Uh -huh. Happy accidents. See, I'm even modeling for us to have a little courage to try. All right, so we have these two passages, D. We have the one in uh, Romans that was read where here St. Paul tells the church that the world itself is full of pain. There's difficulty. Creation itself is subject to futility. What's that mean? And it yearns. Creation's crying out, yearning for redemption, almost as if the non-human world is looking at us humans saying, get it right this time. Because it is true, there's a lot that we do that causes harm to the world around us. And Paul says, Hey, look, there's a reason to hope. Even amidst the pain, there's reason to hope. He tells us that you may not see it, but hope, if it's seen, isn't really hope. But then we get a snapshot of it from John the Revelator. St. John the Revelator gives us this image that's emblazoned behind me in a stained glass window of the new city, the new heavenly city of Jerusalem, where heaven and earth overlap, as N.T. Wright says, in a cosmic kiss. We have a moment where God shows what is to come where God makes his life among mortals, and there is Jesus saying, Behold, I make all things new. We don't make mistakes, just happy accidents makes me think that even through difficulty, something good can come. So I'm going to hand it over to Reverend Stone, and you ask away. And I told her if she asked anything I didn't want to answer, I will just say, Let me think about that.
1: Well, I think you covered everything.
0: We're done.
1: (laughs) We're done. No, um, okay, let's start with Bob Ross, because I love... Bob Ross. I loved watching Bob Ross on Saturday mornings with my children. It was so soothing and pleasant. We'd get the giggles and we felt encouraged that, oh, there's fun things in this world. We can be creative. But I never got to the point where I went out and bought a Bob Ross painter's kit, get started now. How do we overcome the inertia of not honoring our own creativity? How do we get that urge to go on and dare to do painting, writing, singing, cooking, anything to express our creativity.
0: Well, I think that when Bob Ross says, we don't make mistakes just happy accidents, he's actually just encouraging people to be creative, right? Because we do make mistakes. I mean, don't you? I know I make mistakes. I don't think he's talking about the moral life here. I think what he's talking about is just the idea that, hey, come on, give it a shot. What's there to lose? But I think that so many people, just I know so many people who are afraid that if they try something, they're going to fail. Or that it might be hard, so they don't try at all. And I think what Bob Ross is encouraging is all of us have this ability to do things creatively, creatively in our world. And, and to do so is, in a sense, to honor God. It's to honor the image of God in us. God appears from the creation story all the way to the revelation story god appears as a creator or as an artist who wants to create and make and then also to live with and abide with his own art and so how do we did you say how do we overcome that Mm -hmm. well as we um think about that a little bit i i i think every person has a different temperament and you might handle your fears and anxieties differently i'm reminded of the fact that um one of my spiritual uh, touch points in my life is play, the concept of play. Lightheartedness, jokes, could be activity out where I'm not thinking too much, but play, there's something that grace can enter into my world through play. And if I get too serious about things, I almost always shoot myself in the foot. There's someone who once asked me, when I first took over as senior minister, well, you're a pastor of this historic congregation, this historic place, you got this many people attending, you got... This budget size, you got a staff this big, and he said, "How how do you not just freak out thinking about all that?" And I I just looked at them and I said, "Well, I, I didn't until now." <laughs> and it reminds me of when I was playing baseball. Anytime <laughs> the coach would say, "If you got you got to get a hit or we're gonna lose the game," I would miss. <laughs> so there's that one time I was at bat, and my buddy Brandon was behind the backstop, and he said, "Long bonds." And I looked back before the pitcher threw, and he goes, "Let it rip." I gave him a wink and a smile, and I crushed a home run. That's a true story. So sometimes I think the answer is to let it rip. Go for it. Go for it.
1: Then there's the obverse of the coin. If we are to honor the creativity in ourselves, how can we honor creativity in other people, especially when we either don't understand what they're saying or doing or creating, or we don't appreciate it? I'm mindful of a of an art professor who said, there's a cliche that says, I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. He said, the truth is, we like what we know. So if we invest time in understanding it, we have a better chance of appreciating it. So how can we appreciate the creativity of other people with a little more kindness and gentleness?
0: Criticism is not a spiritual gift. (laughs)
1: <laughs> by criticism you mean negative response not evaluation
0: 99 percent of criticism yes yes gotcha criticism is not a spiritual gift it's usually usually it emerges in us out of fear frankly uh somebody's not going to do what we want them to do or make our lives the way we want them to be and so we lash out with critical language especially in art though you know we we can look at something we don't understand we can look at a style that's unique to us or Something, and we can say, oh, that's garbage, or I hate that. He's a really strong language when we're critiquing something. Makes me think about God. God created us, but didn't leave us alone. God entered into our story through Jesus Christ and became as us taking on all of the the mammalian life stuff. Birth, growing up, puberty. God identified with us even when we were going through the indignities of puberty. I want you to just be radicalized by the moment that God has so radically identified with you as a piece of creation that He becomes you. And this reveals something about the heart of God. The heart of God is God as an empath empathy, getting to know. And so it's really easy for us to dismiss something we don't understand or don't like or it doesn't suit our taste, but if we follow the path of God, we might take more time. We might learn to speak less and speak more kindly. We may allow the creative act in the world to kind of take hold of us and maybe capture our imagination, showing us that new fresh things can come out of unexpected places.
1: When you ask that we study these two passages, Romans and Revelation, uh, I did invest time in it and in Revelation I had what in this church is known as a Marcia Lockwood moment. Marcia was a member here and she was a lifelong Bible student but she read the Bible with an open spirit that she would often say, oh, I've read this before, but until now I didn't realize that it says whatever it says. So I had my Marsha Lockwood moment in Revelation when it says, God says, I am creating everything new. I had thought this, I had thought he was saying, I'm going to wipe it all away and start over with something new. But he's saying that he's taking what's here, damaged and broken, and making Am I getting that right?
0: Yes, there's two things I want you to walk away with today more than almost anything else. One is that God doesn't make mistakes, and the second is that God doesn't waste. So let the first one sink in for a second, and I want you to think about your own interior critic. When you don't like yourself sometimes, I want you to be reminded of the fact that God didn't make a mistake by making you. But God doesn't make mistakes in the all of creation either. It's not as though God made the whole universe and then Put some uh, creatures in his image there with a certain level of brain ability to be able to do things that are actually harmful or helpful to the world and then see them go their own way and go oh my gosh what did I do plan B it's not the case at all it's just how we tell the story we tell the story as if well sin happened therefore Jesus came which is which is true but God was not surprised by anything that we've done. So God, firstly, doesn't make mistakes. And then God doesn't waste. So if God doesn't make mistakes, then it's not as though creation has been so completely and utter subjected to futility. As Romans says, and Jeremiah comes out of the tradition of the prophetic texts, that there's this just gnawing of creation for holiness and goodness and gentleness to be poured upon it as opposed to the raping and pillaging of lands and the harm of animals and so on it's it's not as though god goes well that was a mistake i have to crumple it up like a piece of paper and start over and that's what we get in revelation no this newness that jesus speaks of is more like renewal not brand new Renewal in the sense of, um, have you ever seen one of those restoration shows for cars? Where someone takes this classic car and does something with it. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's like brand new and, nay, and, and, I say even better because it's got some more of a modern paint job to it or something like that. Um, there's something about what happens in creation. The, the heaven and earth project, as I like to call it, that it, it, it has been sullied by sinfulness and mis mistakes, wrongdoings, and bad actors, and mm, accidents. But God is going to make it over, renew it, restore it, uplift it. God doesn't waste anything. Some of you might have heard of the Japanese aesthetic called wabi-sabi. Anybody familiar with wabi-sabi? Some of you are like, that's a dish I want to order tonight for for lunch or whatever. That joke didn't make it the first time. I don't know why I tried it again. It
1: didn't work at 9 o'clock. It I mean,
0: it sounds like something delicious to me. <laughs> Wabi-sabi is the aesthetic principle that says that you can find beauty in the imperfect. I've got to tell you, there's a whole lot of people that I know that really need to embrace the imperfect, including myself. Now, you can find beauty in the imperfect, and there's that, there's that, that practice that, that I witnessed firsthand in a museum in London once. So I was walking through it, and and turn a corner and, and there's this vase or this pot. It, it, it was not given to antiquities dust and decay. It, it was shiny, it was uh, polished, the paint was vibrant, but this pot had been broken. And there's this tradition that follows the Wabi-Sabi aesthetic that says uh, we can put that pot whole, except for now, instead of using some kind of super glue Gold is melted down and it's now the binding agent between the broken cracks. Now one thing is it's strong, but two, it's beauty is transcendent to the beauty at first. It lit up the room of a museum. God doesn't waste. So I believe that what God is doing is making all things new and invites Christians a part of that to make things new. Start now. Start making the world over now. This is a project that Jesus established. Jesus comes that we may be like God. Jesus gives his life to heal the brokenness of the world. And he says, come, let's bring this new thing to bear everywhere we go. And it was creative. And it wasn't about forgetting the pain forgetting the accidents or forgetting the mistakes if you follow Romans passage just a little further than we read it says for God it says um, um, how many say I'm I'm forgetting the quote itself
1: who's got your book open
0: Romans 828 (laughs)
1: 828
0: (laughs) talks about how uh, all things God will make good out of all things to Works those who love him good. and are called according to his purpose. I kept wanting to quote John three sixteen to you.
1: <laughs> That's a good one too.
0: That's a good one yeah I've seen it on a few sports helmets. God will work together all things even the tragic and make them good for those who love him. So I'm just going to go on this a little further and say that that pain that we have in this world that Paul says don't Don't give in just to the pain, there's hope. It's to remember that no matter what you go through in life, God will use it. I mean, I think I was a really good student. I think I was a really good preaching major in school. I was really good at pastoral ministry. I had an eye for this kind of thing. Everyone always said, well, you're going to do really well. And I got the verbal affirmation. But the kind of minister I was before, I went through my own tragedies and my own major mountains of mistakes cannot be compared because God doesn't waste even the hardship to bring it together and make something more beautiful. And that's the hope of a life again with God in another garden that's populated by the nations. Amen. Yeah. Any more questions? No. No. I think she's trying to save me because I forgot a scripture off the top of my head. When Bob Ross says, we don't make mistakes, we make happy accidents, most certainly he's just encouraging people to try, right? But there's, a, there's this part in there that makes me think of trusting ourselves and trusting a process. So the last part of the title of the sermon is, God doesn't make mistakes, just happy accidents, right? It's, it, it's called radical trust. We are called to trust that what God is doing is filled with wisdom and grace and that God does not waste. So I'm not telling you to like your sorrow. I'm not telling you to enjoy it. But still be of hope, for God is going to make use of it. And behold, through Jesus Christ, he will make all things new, even you and me. Bless you.
1: Amen. Amen.